And the gospel lesson for this 23rd Sunday after Pentecost comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And this is on page 702 of the Pew Bible. And we come now to the last few weeks of the church year. Uh, so including today, there are three Sundays left before Advent. And these last few Sundays, they kind of form a little bit of a, a liturgical season all of their own. You'll notice that all the readings for today, uh, as well as for the next two Sundays, they all have to do with the end times. Now, popular teaching on the end times, it often becomes very uh, complex, but it really doesn't need to be. The basic biblical teaching is taught very clearly in uh, the creeds. We learn that Jesus is coming again. We don't know when, but he will return in bodily form, and everyone will see him. He will raise all the dead, then he will judge all mankind. The wicked, including the devil and his demons, will be cast into eternal torment, while God will transform his believing saints and grant them everlasting life in the new creation. There are a lot of other details that we might wonder about and theorize about, but the basic details are are certain and clear. Uh, If you still have questions, you can come to the adult Sunday school class next week. I can't promise to give you all the answers. Jesus couldn't even give his disciples all the answers. Uh, But uh, I'll do my best uh, to give you what we do know from Scripture. Uh, In this gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus gives us a parable, teaching us that we should always be watching for his glorious return. And this includes being ready to wait, even for a very long time. Please stand as you are able for the gospel from Matthew 25, beginning at verse 1. We read in Jesus' name. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves." And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I have virtually no patience. Maybe some of you are the same way. I don't know. But when I make plans to to meet someone, if I get there first, I spend the entire time wondering if they're actually going to come, even if I'm only waiting for a couple of minutes. I'm so used to doing basically whatever I want, whenever I want, exactly when I want to do it, uh, that whenever I have to just stop and and wait with nothing to do in the meantime, then my mind starts to play tricks on me. 
So even if the other person is extremely reliable, I basically lose my mind. <laughs> this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I made plans to have lunch with a friend, and I texted him really only about an hour before lunchtime to see if he wanted to get lunch. He said yes, so we set up our plans, and it was just an hour before lunchtime, so it wasn't like there was time there for him to forget. And our plans were very firm. This specific restaurant at noon. Now, I got there at about 11.58, which is pretty good for me. I got a table for us, and as soon as the clock struck 12.01, I started doubting. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Is he actually going to come? Did I get the time wrong? Did I get the date wrong? Am I at the wrong restaurant? Did he forget? Did he suddenly decide he doesn't want to be friends with me anymore? You know, all the possible reasons why he might not show up. So even though I just made these plans what, an hour earlier, I was already doubting it. I started looking through our text messages to, to make sure I got the time and the place and the date right. Then the server came, and it actually took a little bit of faith to order something to drink because I wasn't completely sure in my mind that my friend was really going to come. I was thinking, am I going to have to go through the embarrassment of telling the server my friend is coming, uh, but then he doesn't come and I just pay for one <laughs> beverage and then leave? And all these thoughts are going through my head in, well, less time than it just took me to explain it all to you. But you can probably guess what happened next. At about 12.03, my friend walked in. He apologized for being three minutes late, and I said something like, oh, it's no problem, I barely noticed. <laughs> and if by barely you mean I was totally freaking out, well then, sure. Now, I'm going to guess that you are probably not as neurotic as I am, but you have some idea what I'm talking about, right? We don't like waiting. And sometimes, waiting for something can make us doubt whether or not it's actually going to happen. But then the thing happens, just like it was supposed to, and we realize how foolish our doubts were. So Jesus gives us a parable about waiting. These ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five were wise and five were foolish. Now, the foolish, they were foolish all along, but their foolishness isn't really revealed until the end of the waiting. That's when it becomes apparent that they never really expected the bridegroom to come. They, they looked the part, sort of. They were in the right place at the right time, and they had their lamps, but they didn't bring any oil. They were able to fake it for a while, but only until it really mattered. When the cry rang out that the bridegroom had come, their foolishness was revealed. They were caught with no oil. And the best explanation for how this happened is that they never really expected him to come. So Jesus tells us, to be ready. The point of the parable is, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, some of us might ask, we might question, but how do we know Jesus is actually coming back? And that's really the issue for us, isn't it? The foolish virgins didn't seem to actually believe the bridegroom was coming. If they did, they would have brought their oil. And the same thing is true with Jesus. Many people simply do not believe he is coming again. Even in the visible church, there, there must be some who appear to be ready, but it's only an outward appearance. There may be no faith behind that appearance. They, they look the part, but they don't really believe any of it. They're not ready, because they don't really think there's anything to be ready for. 
Now, maybe you're even one of them. Maybe you're a skeptic, and you know that's, that's all right. I'm not going to be hard on you. You look at things rationally. You ask, how do we know Jesus is actually coming back? And that's a fair question. A couple thousand years ago, some guy said he was going to come back for us. That's a bold claim. Why should we believe it? We would be fools to believe everything we told. I mean, if I told you that rainbow unicorns were going to come and melt all of our snow and give us eternal summer, would you believe me? <laughs> Probably not. And why? Because there's no proof. You might wish something like that would happen, but wishful thinking usually does not amount to reality. So if we're supposed to believe that Jesus is coming back, where's the proof? How do we know he's coming? And if he is, will he find us to be foolish or wise? The answer is really the same as how we know anything in the Christian faith. It is because Jesus died and rose again. Jesus taught the parable of the ten virgins on Tuesday of Holy Week, and that's significant. On Friday of that week, he was crucified, and on Sunday, he rose from the dead. So how do we know Jesus is coming again? Because this same Jesus who told us to watch for his coming is the same Jesus who prophesied that he would be crucified and then rise from the dead, and then he made it happen. And that's the key. If Jesus makes all these promises but then doesn't follow through on rising from the dead, then we really shouldn't believe any of this. Now, God calls us to faith. He calls us to believe. But that faith is not a blind leap. It is not irrational. God actually gives us the proof we need by raising Jesus from the dead. This event of the resurrection is the basis for everything we believe in the Christian faith. For example, how do we know that God created the entire cosmos in six days? None of us were there to see it. It is because the same Jesus who treated the entire Old Testament as the authoritative word of God, that's the same Jesus who died and rose again. And how do we know that God created male and female and intended for marriage to be permanent? Because the same Jesus who affirmed that scripture passage died and rose again. How do we know that our sins are forgiven? Now that's a big one. Because the same Jesus who promises forgiveness and eternal life died and rose again in order to make it happen. And how do we know Jesus is returning? Because he died and rose again just like he said he would. The truthfulness of everything in Scripture hinges on this one historical event. Now, I know that some of you, you, you've heard me talk about this before. You might even be starting to think that you could stand here and give this sermon. Good, that's the point. And I'm going to keep teaching you about this until every single one of us are prepared to teach those five foolish virgins what's so foolish about not believing. Every Christian really should be prepared to give a defense for the reason, the hope that is within us. And the reason is simply this, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our faith is not a blind leap. It is firmly grounded on real historical 
events. On a particular Friday, in a particular city, particular blood was shed. God laid it all on the line. He basically said, all right, here's my son. Kill him and see what happens next. Now, if that's the end of it, if Jesus is crucified only to be laid in a tomb, to rot until his body decomposes to the point where it's nothing more than just dirt, then everything in this book would be garbage. It would be worthless, and Christians, we would be downright pitiful. But if the crucifixion isn't the end of it, if Jesus did actually rise from the dead, well, then we have something else on our hands. For one thing, we would know that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted, and we stand righteous before God. We would also have someone with authority, someone who can tell us about things in the past, things in the future, and even things in the kingdom of God. And this is one of the unique things about Christianity, that we're not talking about secret events done in a corner or some random person's private revelation from God. We're talking about Jesus making a public claim that he would be crucified and then rise from the dead. And then we have him actually following through on it. Now, this is, this is a big deal. He didn't do it secretly. And that's the key. We have him appearing to dozens and even hundreds of eyewitnesses. And then we have those eyewitnesses writing it all down for us and spreading the report all over the world and even sticking to their convictions in the face of death. We believe Jesus is coming back because he proved himself to be God in a very public way. So we are, in fact, wise to be watching and waiting for Jesus to return, even if it means suffering and ridicule in this life. It's one of those things where we might feel a little bit insecure while we wait. It may seem like we've been waiting for a long time. So we start to second guess whether or not it's really supposed to take this long. So we go back and look at Jesus' words. Did he really say that he's coming? Is it really supposed to take this long? We look at a parable like the one before us and we see that, yes, Jesus taught us to be ready at any time and he also teaches us in this parable to be ready to wait, even if it means waiting for a very long time. That's what happened to the ten virgins. These ten virgins are, are kind of like bridesmaids. In ancient Israel, weddings were big, long celebrations. They could last for several days. I mean, these people really knew how to party. But, the first, but, but first, the bridegroom, uh, the groom, he would go and he, he would prepare a dwelling place for his new family. He, he might even build a house for them, which gives us a little bit of an imagery of Jesus preparing heaven for his saints. Yeah. And then at the appointed time, he and his friends, they would go to the bride's parents' house to fetch her and the bridesmaids. Then they would have this processional, like a parade to the wedding feast. It was usually dark at the time, evening, not midnight, but evening. So that's what the lamps were for. Now in the parable, all ten virgins bring a lamp, but only five of them bring oil. Now either they don't know that lamps need oil, or they do know it, but just don't think the groom is actually coming. 
Now, I think they, they know all about lambs, but they don't really have faith in the groom. Now, in my mind, and this is just the way I picture it, you don't have to picture it the same way, I picture a rather homely-looking bride, which would represent the, the church pretty well. I imagine a rather homely-looking bride telling her ten friends that this really handsome guy she met on the Internet is coming to marry her. Now, five of her friends believe her. Uh, at first, they look like the foolish ones. The other five are more skeptical, but they don't want to hurt her feelings, so they agree to be in the wedding party. Come along, bring some lamps and wait. Then they can at least be there to console this broken-hearted young girl. They bring their lamps because they know they have to look supportive, but they don't really think they're going to need any oil, so they don't bother with that expense. It starts to get late. The skeptical five are looking wiser and wiser, aren't they? The minutes turn into hours, and the groom still hasn't come. Eventually, they all fall asleep. And we remember that, that sleep is Jesus' special word for death. So we learn from the parable that not only should we be ready for Jesus to return right now, but we must also be ready for him not to return right now. In fact, we should be ready for him to wait until sometime after our deaths, when we, like the ten virgins, fall asleep. But then, at midnight, when no one expects it, the cry rings out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. This is like the trumpet sound when Jesus returns, and then everyone wakes up, not just the wise, but also the foolish. Other passages also teach that it is not merely Christians who will rise from the dead, but all mankind. Then the foolish virgins, they realize they were wrong. They're caught off guard, so they ask the wise virgins to spare some oil. But the wise only have enough for themselves. The foolish virgins have to go and try to buy some, but it's too late. It's not like the bridegroom is another hour away. He is here now. The time to go is now. So they, they frantically try to get ready at the last minute, but it's useless. Their foolishness is exposed. But for the five wise virgins, the arrival of the bridegroom is pure joy. They are vindicated before the skeptics, and they are rewarded for their faith in the bridegroom. They get to experience the unspeakable joy of the wedding feast. And it's not like they were so much different from the five foolish virgins. They simply expected the bridegroom to come. And he did. And that's why they brought the oil. The oil is simply a picture of faith. It's a picture of expecting this thing to actually happen. We trust that Jesus will fulfill his promise. As Christians, our glorious hope is that day when Christ will come again. Now, as we wait for this day, our lives are often filled with suffering, shame, even death. We may be ridiculed for our faith in Jesus Christ, we might feel foolish for it. The world calls us foolish for believing that some guy from 2,000 years ago is going to come back. But as surely as he bore our sins in his body and carried them into death and rose triumphantly over death, he will come again in glory. He will raise the dead. He will grant everlasting life to all who believe in him. Now for now, our, our faith may waver. 
Anyone who says that it doesn't is dishonest. For now, our, our faith may waver. We may even doubt his promises and wonder if we are, in fact, the fools. But our faith will be confirmed when he proves himself to be faithful. His sacrifice has removed our sins and made us worthy of his kingdom. He has even forgiven the guilt that we incur when we doubt him. And he will remove all doubt when he takes his stand on the earth once again. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. No more cancer, no more disease, no more war. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. How we long for that day then. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. <clears throat>